Thank you, Marion. Thank you, music team. Thank you, Hannah, for that extended uh, music for us. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. If it's your first time here, I'm, I'm Alvin. I serve as lead pastor at this awesome church that I really, really like. I really like this place and the people in it. Um, we are in a, a series, and I'm excited to get into part three. But before we do it, I like to get us to just prepare our minds and prepare our hearts to receive the word of God uh, by, by declaring these words over this time. So can you join me in saying these words? So they're on the screen. It says, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome, amen. All right, so this is part three of a series called Zeal for the House. And zeal means enthusiasm, it means fire, it means passion. And by the house, I'm specifically talking about the house of God, the, the assembly of believers that facilitates his presence. And by his, I mean God's presence. Uh, he administers uh, his blessings, his mercy, his vision, his healing uh, through this, this, this gathering of his people where his presence resides. He dwells uh, amongst us whenever we come together, which is why it's so important that we come together. And, and this, the house of God has taken on a few different forms over the history of, of God's relationship with, with his people and this redemption plan that he started way back with uh, Abraham through Israel. But it was the Ark of the Covenant, and then the tent was where his presence dwelt. And then there was a temple, and now we've got the church. It's the assembly of us, these living stones that are being built together to be a spiritual house according to Scripture. And this house is important. Dare I say this house is the most important thing, not because we're so great, but we facilitate the presence of God, who is the answer to every, check this, every problem in the world Every, I mean, imagine being the solution for every single problem in the world. And that is, that's who lives in us. That's who lives in here. So it's important that, that we, we get reminded of the significance of the house of God and how important the zeal for the house of God is. Romans 12, 11 says, never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And uh, there's, a, there's a great story that we started last week that I want to continue this week about a group of people, of believers, uh, pretty committed believers, actually, that, that, that let the zeal for the house of God go down. And God was gracious enough to address it and to correct it, and some great things happened. So I'm going to... Uh, Read about Haggai. Haggai is a book in the Bible, for those of you who didn't know. 
Um, and it's only two chapters, but it's, it's powerful. It's a powerful couple of chapters. And just to give you a little bit of backstory, um, Israel, who were the, the believers in the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they, were, they went through a really terrible tragedy. They were overthrown in a bad way by Babylon. Jerusalem was totally destroyed, and they all were forced out of their home, forced out of their city to live in Babylon in exile. And they were there for about 70 years. And then God was gracious enough to move on the king of Babylon to free Israel to go back to their homeland in Jerusalem. And at this point, it had been a long time. And though they were in exile, they got pretty comfortable there. They had built their rhythms. And you know how human beings, we, we like our rhythms. And, and they were used to life in Babylon. So actually, even though hundreds of thousands of them were free to go back to their homeland, only 50,000 decided to go back. And it was a pretty sacrificial move because Babylon was a very developed, very successful by worldly standards city. And Jerusalem was a wasteland. It was totally desolate. There was nothing good going for it uh, to, the, to the naked eye. So for these people to come back to Jerusalem was pretty, pretty admirable, pretty, pretty uh, honorable for them to do this because that was their land. That was a land that God had promised them. So they came back, and like most of us, they started off super excited, full of vision, um, and in true fashion of their people, the house of God has always come first for Israel. The temple, the house of God was always first priority. So in true fashion, they started to build the house of God. They started to rebuild this temple that had been totally destroyed. And the scripture says for about two years... They were really strong working together, and they were able to build the foundation of the temple. They built the altar, and around the two-year mark, uh, the enthusiasm started to dwindle. Uh, the fire and the vigor and the excitement and the motivation started to go down, like it often tends to do with all of us. We've, we've seen the New Year's resolutions those first few weeks, we're working out, we're doing our Bible plan, we're so fired up, and then around February, around March, it's like, ugh, we realize that, that that natural fire is not coming as naturally. So we can relate to this. All of us can relate to this. This happened. So they, they were able to keep their fire for two years, which for some of us, that's a huge deal. But then it came around year three, and the passion went down regarding the house of God. And it went down so far to where the scripture says the, the entire process, so the, the entire work on the house of God came to a complete halt. Like totally, no work, no progress was uh, happening at the house of God. And it went as long as 14 years. And Haggai 1 starts at the end of this 14-year uh, period of, of, of no work being done on the house of God. So I'm going to do a little bit of review, and uh, we'll, we'll finish this chapter. Uh, I'm just going to read it. It says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people, talking about Israel, the believers, says, uh, the time has not come 
the time that the Lord's house should be built. So God is letting Haggai know what's happening in the hearts of the people. God always knows what's going on in the hearts of the people. And God was letting Haggai, who was the prophet for that group of people, and he was saying, hey, the people, even though it's been 14 years of no progress, they're still saying now is not the right time to re-engage in our service regarding the house of God. And uh, he goes on with a very interesting response, which is really the, the heartbeat of the message today. Haggai 1, 3 through 4, God says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, So he spoke to Haggai, and Haggai said this, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So God, uh, who's not afraid of confrontation, um, not afraid to wrestle feathers, because it's always in love, and we're going to find out how benevolent this rebuke actually was for, for, for God's people. But he said, you know, he's bringing up to the fact that though it's not time and it's not the, the, the appropriate season to build the house of God, um, it was the right time and the right season to build their paneled houses. And the story goes, history says that, that during these 14 years where no house, no, no work was being done to the house of God, Israel, they were, uh, able to build some amazing homes for themselves. Scriptures, uh, scriptures show that some of them even had more than one home. And they were investing in their personal lives um, without really needing a break. <laughs> but for some reason, they needed a break of serving God's house. And not only needed a break, they needed a 14-year break. And then even after the 14-year break, they said the break still shouldn't be done yet. And God was like, okay, but it is the right time to build your paneled houses. So he was, he was calling them out on, on something called priorities. Um, God is not anti them living in homes, nice homes, not even multiple homes. The issue is that don't let your investment in your paneled houses be at the expense of my house being built. And that's what this is about. This is about priorities. This is not don't live in a nice house. This isn't don't have a great personal life. But we all have to make sure that our personal endeavors and our personal affairs don't come at the expense of the advancement and the building of God's house. So we, we, we talked on that last week, and we talked about paneled houses really being a, a representation of, of whatever's happening in your personal life outside of church. So that could be food, that could be clothes, that could be your house, that can be your education, that could be relationships, any kind of relationship, that can be work, that can be your vacation time, that can be your fitness time, your hobbies, your me time. And notice, not a single thing that I listed is a sin. In fact, everything that I listed is actually good. I'm pro every single thing I just listed. The issue is not that we are um, sinning in the way that we think of sin. By the way, our definition of sin is a little shallow at times because we think that it's just like an action, but Scripture says anything that's not done in faith is sin. So there's a lot of sin that's in our lives that we're not even recognizing because we still haven't graduated from sin is cussing and doing drugs and fornicating. 
Like, like we, we still have that nine-year-old version of what sin is, like doing naughty things. But, 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 but sin is anything that's not from faith. So the, the issue is, even though these things are not the elementary definition of sin that we work with in our Christian culture, we have to understand that these paneled houses had seeped its way to becoming priority and therefore actually um, corrupting the lives of these people. And God, again, is so gracious enough that he's willing to confront us on these issues so that we can have an opportunity to hear it, to respond to the rebuke, and make a change. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 5 through 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop and think about your priorities. Stop and think about the things um, that you don't need a break from. But yet you need a break from serving the house of the Lord. Think about how fast, uh, when something's got to go from your life, think about why the church is usually the first or second thing that has to go. When you're cleaning your plate from your life, it's amazing how that's one of the first things. And that's what happened with these people. They were getting overwhelmed and they were dealing with things, but the first thing that left their list was the house of God. And, and that's why I love this scripture, even though it's so old. I mean, man, how relevant. How relevant is Haggai chapter 1 to our lives today? So he says, consider your ways. Stop and really think about it. Stop and really think. What's the first thing to go from your life when you need to back up from things? What's the first thing to usually go? Is it work? No, of course not. I can't live without work. Is education? No, of course not. Education is Is it food? Oh, my God, I can't live without food. But yet, we can totally live according to what we believe without serving the house of God. But this this is why I say we think we're living, because God is bringing a great revelation this next part. Please listen to me. He's talking to people who have considered, who have prioritized their, their personal lives over the house of God under the deception that that's the stuff that they need to live. And then he goes on and say in verse 6, you have sown much. You're working a lot. You're, you're picking up that extra shift. You're doing a lot of work, good, honest work, and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So God is bringing the revelation that you think that you're prioritizing the things that you need to live, and it's the exact opposite. You're not living at all. You've got food, but you're still hungry. You've got drink, but you're still thirsty. You've got clothes, but you're still cold. And there's this, there's this insatiable, unconsolable quality for those who don't prioritize the house of God. And this is why I'm glad I'm reading this because this is not a selfish motive from God saying, build my house and neglect your life. And that's the message that the enemy sometimes wants us to hear. But he's not saying that. His motives for this rebuke is a lot more benevolent than what the enemy wants you to believe. He's saying, I'm watching y'all suffer. I'm watching you guys put in honest work and having no enjoyment out of it. 
no fulfillment out of it. You're not even able to retain. Last week, we talked about the devourer. And the devourer is the, the, the spirit that, that, pre, that prevents us from retaining the blessings of God. And it's a cross-reference because if you look another scripture in Malachi, we're not going to read it this time, but Malachi 3, he's uh, encouraging people to prioritize the house of God and to make sure that the house of God is always filled with enough resources, not just for those who call that house their house, but even the city that that house is in. I believe that the house of God is not just meant to benefit the congregation, but also the surrounding areas of the city, those who aren't coming to church. I believe there are people who should be benefiting from Nashville life who don't even go here. So my point is the house of God is meant to be a storehouse so that there's enough food not only for us in here, but for the whole city. And that's truly what I believe. And the Bible says that when we learn to prioritize the house of God, in Malachi 3, it was in context to tithes and offerings. And I feel the need to specify this, guys. And again, I'm just, this is all, this is out of the benevolent motive. Just remember, God has a benevolent motive in clarifying things. But Malachi 3 doesn't just say tithes. It says tithes and offerings. Scripture says if you're, you're robbing God, and he said, if you're wondering know how you rob God, he said, in your tithes and offerings. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me make it clear. Um, tithes is, is 10% of, of, of all your income that, that goes to the house of God, specifically the house of your house of God, like your, your community, the place where you are committed to, so that there's always enough food and resources in the house. And tithe is huge. Please give me, don't get me, don't get me wrong. Like, it's major, and we need to cross that part off because Scripture says that that's the person who doesn't do that is actually um, robbing God. Um, and it's normal for you not to consider it robbery because even the people in the Scripture, they said the Scripture, the people say, well, how are we robbing God? So it's normal not to know that you're robbing God by, by not tithing. The reason why I want to bring up offerings is tithing Though it's important, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're generous yet. Tithing means that you're no longer a robber. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but just because I'm not robbing banks, it doesn't necessarily make me a generous person. <laughs> just because I'm not stealing money, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm generous. The 10% takes you out of the robbery zone. Generosity doesn't start until the addition. So that first penny after the 10%, that's you're, you're one penny generous. I, I'm glad that we, if you're tithing only, that's, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm happy that you're not robbing God. I just don't want to, don't want to make sure you're overdoing the credit that you're giving yourself because now you're, you're, you're not robbing him. Great. And I'm definitely pro not robbing God. I just don't want you to think that you're being generous per se because generous doesn't start until after the 10%. So that, that let's say you uh, get 100 bucks and you give 10 bucks to church. You're no longer a robber. That's awesome. That $11 
That's a dollar of generosity. And that part is the part that Scripture says, deciding your heart what you should give. That's, that's the part of, you know what, I just love God, so I'm going to give 11. I'm going to give 10.75, 75 cents. Man, that's, that's, that's the generous part. So just so you guys know, it's grouped together, tithes and offering. Yes, give that 10%, but, but, but also know that the generosity doesn't truly start until post the 10%. Every cent on top of the 10% is what we call offerings. And all of that is how we contribute. Again, why? To make sure that there's enough. Scripture says so there can be more than enough in the storehouse for us, but also beyond us for our city, for our country, and for the world. Remember, the theme of the year is I'm a life giver. That's the theme of uh, 2021 for Nashville Life, in case you weren't here in January. That's the theme that I believe the Lord gave to this house. And the reference was Egypt. Egypt was set up to be a storehouse that not only blessed those in their nation, but the Bible says that every nation came to Egypt to get grain that was stored up in the storehouse. And the revelation for our house was that we were called to be that storehouse. We were called to be a storehouse in the midst of a famine to where not only do we have enough for the people who are here, but other people from other places, other churches, other countries, other cities can come and draw from what we're storing here at Nashville Life. And I think that's called for the church, not just Nashville Life. I think the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a storehouse not only for the existing members and professing Christians, but for those who are on the outside as well. So there's a purpose to this, this house of God. There's a reason why we're supposed to have zeal towards this house because this house is actually the ordained source for the world. And if the people who belong to the house don't have zeal for it, then the source supply for the world goes down, and that's equivalent to the light being put under a bushel. You know, we were called to be a bright light, but one of the ways that we can really diminish our light is if the people don't have zeal for the house. Is this making sense? Okay, so let's keep it going. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, God says, consider your ways. He said it again. So if you didn't hear it the first time, God is really wanting us to consider just think about our ways. Just think about it. Take a stop, take a second, and think about our ways. And then he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, which is basically the time is now. He didn't say next week. He didn't say next two. He's like, now. Like, y'all have waited 14 years, and honestly, God's probably saying, if I didn't intervene, this could have easily gone on another 14 years. Sometimes it takes God to intervene and interrupt to go, okay, Get off the couch. <laughs> it's time right now. Well, just, just give me a little bit more time. Nah, now is the time. Now is the time. He says, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. So God wants to take pleasure in what we're building, and he wants to be glorified by what we're building. So these are three steps I want to point out. The first step in these instructions was go up to the mountain. The key word is up. If you look in Scripture, you will see, especially in the Old Testament, a lot of times when people were having an encounter with God, like Moses, they were called to go up to this mountain. And this mount, that mountain represents where God is. 
Uh, scripture makes it very clear that God is higher than us. His ways are higher than us. His thoughts are higher than us. So I'm going to kind of take a revelation from that go up to the mountain. And for us, if you want to know how to, how to apply that to your life, going up to the mountain for us means start looking up. Look to God. Look to him first. Before you do anything, you got to look up to him in order to think like God, you have to elevate your level of thinking. You've got to start thinking a little bit higher than how we're thinking right now. Specifically, Scripture says we should be heavenly minded. We should be eternally minded. It's going to be impossible, and I don't say many things are impossible, but it's going to be impossible for us to have zeal for the house of God if we don't elevate our mindset to an eternal plane. We must start thinking eternally more. We must start thinking about eternity. Guys, do not let the events and materials of this world distract us that this part that we are living right now is very temporary. And when this part fades away, either by us physically dying or this world ending, uh, eternity is going to be what matters the most. And the enemy always, the paneled houses, what that represents is the enemy's always wanting us to be preoccupied with things that are temporal. And that was their issue. The issue was that they, they just were evil people necessarily. It was that their minds were preoccupied with temporal matters. And sometimes before you engage in the work of God, you have to first align your mind to the mind of God. You must go up in your thinking. You must go, go higher in the way that you're looking at life. You must look at life from where God sits. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ allows us to do that. The Bible says through Jesus Christ we are seated in heavenly places. So it's pretty amazing that through Jesus Christ, even though we're here on earth, he's actually opened up a door for us to think at a heavenly level. Jesus has made that possible. Jesus Christ has made it possible that we mortal beings whose feet are on the ground can actually think at the level of heaven. And that's the first thing that must happen. You will not, I'm telling you, you will not sincerely engage in the building of God's house unless you first go up to the mountain and, and elevate your mind to something that's eternal. I promise you, the, the affairs of the house of God will prove to be insignificant, irrelevant, and honestly pointless unless you first elevate your mind to God's level of thinking. It's got to be eternal. It's got to be of heaven because this is a heavenly work. This is an eternal work that we're doing. This is very different than the other works that we do in the world. We do an eternal work via the house of God. So if you don't have an eternal mind, you're going to have a hard time. Number two, bring wood. God says, go up to the mountain and bring wood. And the revelation I want to share with you about bringing wood is that there is no resource needed to build the house of God that he hasn't already provided. There is no resource to build the house of God that God hasn't already provided. The command to God's people to build house was to go get the wood that I've already provided. The scripture wasn't go and create wood. It didn't say go and create wood. The wood is already created. He said just go up and get it. I already did the work to make sure the wood's provided. You have more than enough trees. 
more than enough wood to build me the most amazing house. And it's right up the mountain. Just go get it. So I'm telling you guys to be encouraged that there is no resource that is lacking for us to completely do the work of God for this generation. There is not a shortage of people, despite what we want to believe sometimes. There's not a shortage of money. There's not a shortage of talent. There's not a shortage of spiritual giftings. There's not a shortage of revelation. There's not a shortage of information. There's not a shortage of resources. Every single thing that we need to build the house of God, just like the wood on the trees, have already been provided. And all God has asked you to do is just bring it. Bring it. Bring the talents. Bring the resources. Bring the finance. Bring the spiritual gifts. Bring the resources that I've already given you. The reason why God can unashamedly ask you of things is because he knows what you have. God will never ask you to give what you don't have. I promise you. I promise you. Be encouraged. He will never ask you to give what you don't have. And the reason why he can confidently say bring X, Y, and Z is because he can see what you have in your house, in your mind, in your heart, in your bank account. He knows what we have. He knew that there were wood, there was enough wood in the trees before he said, go get the wood. So bring wood means the resources are here. They're actually in this room. I promise you they are. The third thing is build the temple. That was a third instruction. And build the temple just means take what you've been given, take the wood, and make something of it. Put it to work. Build with the resources I've given you. Well, God, I don't have much. It's okay. You have enough. Well, God, I'm, I, I don't, I know what you have. And trust me, with what you have plus my power, that's the combo. That's always been the combo. That's always been the combination. What it is that you have plus his power makes these glorious things. So build the temple just means put what you have to use. Take and gather all, and that's kind of where, where my work comes in. I, I have the task and the privilege of, of, of gathering the resources, the people. Hey, 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 you, come, come, you, 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 come. And we, and we gather what we have, and we lay, and then we start working what we have. Okay, so you, you've got a great administrative mind? Okay, great, let's put you there. Okay, you've, oh, you sing? Okay, let's do that. Oh, okay, you're, you're great. A preacher? Okay, cool. And like what we do is we take the resources that we have and we build something with it. That's how we build the house of God. We take the resources that have been given to us, we gather it together, which is why the word says don't forsake the gathering, because the gathering is the gathering of the wood and the stones and the resources. They couldn't build what they didn't bring from the mountain. So they'd go to the mountain, take the wood, bring the wood back. So every time we come together, that's the gathering of, of the wood so we can build the temple. That's the gathering of the resources. So first thing, go up to the mountain. you got to elevate your thinking. Until you can break out of the worldly, carnal mindset, it's going to feel like a brick wall every time. I promise you it will. If you elevate your mind, Lord, renew my mind. 
to a heavenly mindset. Help me to be more preoccupied by eternity than I am about tomorrow, than I am about yesterday. Please, Lord, renew my mind so I can be, be prone to think eternally versus just the immediate present. And what that's going to do is it's going to release a grace for you to start caring about eternal things. I'm telling you, people who don't think about eternity don't care about eternal things. It's just, it's just, it's science. It just doesn't work. You can't be engaged in eternal work if you don't think about eternal things, which is why the word says to become, think, think about heaven. Think about the things of eternity and not temporal things. Second thing is bring what you got. Bring what you got. I don't care how, we've got plenty of scripture, guys, to let us know that it doesn't matter how little you have. If you bring it, God will breathe his spirit on it, and you will be amazed at what can come from it. So bring the wood and then build. And, yes, building takes work. But the hard, the reason why God doesn't, uh, I don't know, the reason why he's not as uh, maybe phased by the amount of work that it takes is because there's no amount of work that he's calling us to do that he hasn't done 10 times as much. And he's with us. But, but everything that he, the hard part is the, like, I, I created trees. That was the hard work. I made sure that there was enough wood. Your job is to go up and get it. I paid for your salvation. I paid for the spiritual gifts that you enjoy. I paid for your access to heavenly things. All I'm asking you to do is bring what I've already given you so we can do something with it. God has done the hard part. Yes, work is hard, working for the kingdom, but we have to always remember that as hard as what I'm doing is, this is not as hard as dying on the cross. And that's why you need perspective. It's very important that we have perspective, guys, because it is work. I, I'd be lying to you if I told you that building God's house isn't hard work. But if you want to stay encouraged, you must keep a perspective of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, you will not put an ounce of, an ounce of suffering that you go through for the gospel and it compete with the sufferings of Jesus, which is why the Paul says, all I do is think about Christ crucified. There's a reason why it's not, he didn't just like thinking about it. <laughs> he knew that if I think about Christ crucified, there's not a single sweat that I drop. There isn't a single bloodshed that I go through. There isn't a single tear that I cry that will compare to the work that was done for me. The Bible says, who has a concept of their forgiveness has a capacity to love others. When you understand the work that was put in for you to be here today, it supernaturally gives you this grace to extend love, mercy, service, suffering. We must learn from Paul the reason why he was able to work himself to the bone with joy is because he kept the crucifixion of Jesus on his mind, and he, he never allowed himself to build himself up that he was doing more than he thought he was doing. Some of us feel entitled. 
We really think since it's been three years of faithful service, we are entitled to stop. And Paul had a, and it's impossible to get into that entitlement when you remember the crucifixion. It is impossible to slip into entitlement when you remember the cross. Impossible. A person who is thinking about the cross does not get entitled to their level of suffering. That was Paul's secret. Paul's secret was that he had the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. If that did it, this message would be irrelevant. We have the Holy Spirit, but we have to, first step is go up to the mountain. We've got to renew our minds to a higher place. And that will flow everything else. From the mind, everything else flows. Bring wood, build a temple. All right, we're almost done. Haggai chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. This is God speaking. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Now, let's keep going. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs his own house. I'm telling you, remember I told you guys it'd be different if we also didn't have time for our personal lives? That'd be a different story. The Lord's issue is that his house is in ruins while they were having enough energy to prepare and, and tend to their own affairs. He says, every one of you, which means all of them were, were guilty of this. It wasn't just a few. Every one of you runs his own house. Therefore, because of this, God says, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Okay. Okay. This lets us know a part of God that might not sit well with, with us. This doesn't probably match most of your um, perceptions of God that we tend to, like, want to lean on. And I'm speaking to myself. God, he made it clear, the devil's not drying up y'all's land. Stop rebuking the devil. He said, I did that. I allowed you not to become fruitful. It wasn't the devil. It was me. He said, because and as long as the house of God is neglected, I care. Remember, the whole the, session one of zeal for the house was that Jesus was consumed with zeal for the house. Jesus is extremely zealous for the house of God. So is God so zealous that he is willing to halt our progress in life until we come to our senses and turn our attention to what he's zealous for. 
that's just him. Now, that's, like, that's one of those take or leave it traits about God. God, God is willing to wait. God is the parent whose, whose kid, he says, you're not going to get up until you finish the food. And the kid tests the parent and say, if I wait late enough, he'll say I can go to bed. God is the person, I'm telling y'all, God is the person, it will be seven days. He goes, you don't test, you don't test, we don't, this is not a, we don't do this. God will wait. God is the dad that will wait eight days. You're still sitting at that table, haven't eaten. He goes, until you submit we're not moving forward. That's the kind of debt. Now, that's why his, he's, he's different than us. God is different than us. God is the God that goes, I know you want that breakthrough. I know you want that business to take off. I know you want that, that opportunity to come. But he goes, I dried up all of y'all's situations. And if, if it sounds like it's mean, it's not. God is a good, remember the song we sing? He's a good father. Good, good father. We had two goods. And most of the time we think that we're thinking of his hugs and his embrace and his endless blessings regardless of what we deserve. But God is also that dad that will say, we're not getting up. We're not getting up from this table. Why? Because it's more important that you learn how to submit to me it is that you get what you want. It is more important that you learn to seek my kingdom first before you get the pleasures of the desires of your heart. It is more important that you learn to delight in me than it is for you to be satisfied from your afflictions. God is the kind of God that is willing to let you suffer at the expense of your own stubbornness than to bless you and for you to continue another day the wrong way. That's the kind of dad he is. He waits. He says, I'll wait. And the cool thing about him is it, no matter when, the minute that you change, he goes, cool, let's go. Let's go. Let's keep going. Guys, let me show you another perspective of the prodigal son's dad. He waited. He didn't run after him and say, we got to stop him from getting in the pigsty. He goes, if it takes my boy to be in the pigsty, so be it. But when the boy was ready, the dad said, let's go. Come on. Let's throw a party. He's ready. He's ready. Malachi 3 says that when we tithe and give offering, he said, then I will open up the windows of heaven. He's going to do it. He, he, I'm telling you all, the ball, when I say the ball is in our court, I cannot tell you how much the ball is in our court as his people. But if our hearts, if our hearts are hard, he goes, I'll wait. That was a revelation to them. They were in a drought for the, those years. That was part of the reasons why they didn't want to work, because it was such a drought. The, the, the land wasn't producing. This was during their 14 years of saying it's not ready yet. <laughs> And God says, well, that drought was 
me. And if you guys obey, you go up to the mountain, get the wood, put your priorities right, I'll, it's literally a snap of my finger, figuratively, a snap of my finger. And, and we'll, we'll go. And sure enough, that's what happened. Verse 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all, everyone say all, all the remnant of the people, which means all 50,000. This is very inspiring for us, guys. We're talking about 100% participation. We're talking about 100% participation. That's actually biblical. That's actually something that we can believe for. I know the statistics say it's never 100%. There's only, I, I've heard so many things. You know, every church is only 20% of the people who, who are faithful, and they, they, they're the 20% that do everything. And I hear those statistics all the time. Um, uh, we've heard that the average church, uh, only 30% tithe. Um, and we've always been in the national life. We've been in the, what, 60s? We've been in the 60s, which, 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 which is, comparatively speaking, phenomenal. Like, we've had pastors being like, what are y'all doing there? What, like, that's amazing that y'all have that level. And as, as, as much as I'm proud of us for being more than 30%, Dare I say that it's actually scriptural we're 100%. What if Nashville Life got 100% people serve? If we've been able to be as great as we are at 60, and when I, I'm, I'm collecting everything. I'm not just saying tithes and offering. I'm talking about like, but even though there is a correlation, just so you know, because it's a heart thing. It's not a money thing. It's never, it's never a money thing. Heart is only indicator of money. The person who tithes, the person who doesn't tithe, usually isn't serving either. So it's, it's, that's why that's why you bring in tithing because tithing is a reflection of your heart. Giving is a, is a, is your heart. So so if imagine if hundred percent of us gave, our contributed our hearts and our, our 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 talents and our creativity and our our vision and our skills and, and our, 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 our resources, our relationships, our, our neighborhood, our neighbors, and invite them. I mean, guys, this, this is vision, guys. Please receive the vision. Because my, it says, uh, uh, voice of the Lord, words of the Haggai the prophet and the Lord, oh, sorry, with all the remnant of the people, so everybody. All of them obey the voice of the Lord their God. Isn't that cool? They all obey the voice of the Lord their God. And, this is interesting, and the words of Haggai the prophet. And I'll just bring that up because uh, it, it matters what the leader is saying. For all of you, I follow God and not Haggai people. The scripture, those people, those people exist. The, that's why I love the Bible. It, 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 it just puts us all in checkmate. It's like, there's no way out. He says they obey God, and for those of you who say, I obey God and not Haggai, he says, and the words of Haggai, which was the human being, the, the fallen, fallible human being that God appointed to be the speaker of his word. The people obeyed God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. Again, it's your faith. It's not that Haggai was God. It was that God sent him. 
So the infallible God that I am fully, wholeheartedly devoted to sent him. So it's not that Haggai was the Messiah, but the infallible God sent Haggai, and that mattered. you got to learn to connect the dots. This is all in Scripture, guys. Not a single thing that I make up. It says, and the Lord... Um, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, again, they keep on tagging. He's not just some dude. He's not just some random, unauthorized guy. He's the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message, again, not Haggai's message, the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So they obeyed, right? That was the first decision. They heard all this. He came for their business. He was like, oh, y'all's house is looking great. They're like, ah, oh, man. He goes, okay, now go up to the mountain, get the wood, bring it back, and let's start building. They obeyed. So, so is like another word of therefore. Since they obeyed, the Lord stirred up the spirit. Just so you guys know, stirring up means refreshing. If you've got a bowl of soup that that's in the pot and hasn't been stirred. If you guys, those of you who, are off heart, who have already gotten into chili season and making your, if it's been sitting, when you stir it, what happens? The aroma refreshes because it's almost like that film kind of thing gets over it and the smell is not there and you stir it and it has a way of, of waking up the elements. You start smelling things again. So when someone's spirit is stirred up, that means they're being revived. When you stir something, when you stir the pot figuratively, it revives you. So the Bible says that after God's people obeyed his voice, he stirred up their spirit. He kind of woke them up. He got them hype again. Some, the blood started flowing again. That's the zeal that I'm talking about. That's the zeal. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son. So not only the leader, Zerubbabel was the governor. So the governor, stirred, his spirit got stirred up. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So you see he stirs up leadership first, which is why the standard for leadership is just different. If we don't get fired up, how can we expect anybody else to? Which is why if you are leading at Nashville Life, you notice an elevation of expectation. Because the way God works, he first has to stir up the leadership. And then through the leadership, the rest of the congregation get it. The high priest was stirred up. So first the governor, well, Haggai was stirred up first because he had to give the word. Then Zerubbabel, the governor, was stirred up. And, the house, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And the spirit of who? All the remnant of the people. All 50,000 plus were stirred up with zeal, and they came, and they what? Worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. They worked on it. Work is involved. What does Jesus say? This is all connected. The harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough workers. Guys, I'm just trying to set expectation. Part of serving the Lord is working. And sometimes I've heard, you know, it's, it's just, 
It just feels like work. What is work supposed to feel like? It is work. It is work. If it feels like work, that means you're working. Go figure, right? Let's go. So everything's normal. So then anytime you guys are coming to me, guys, it's feel, it feels like work, I'll be like, praise God. It means you're working. Let's go. We look at it, oh, something's wrong because it's feeling like work. I'm sweating. Something's wrong. This can't be spirit-led. If this is spirit-led, I'm supposed to feel like I'm eating ice cream. Oh, my God, I'm sweating. Oh, my gosh. This is kind of tiring. Oh, man. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Pastor, pastor. It's work. It is. They came together when they were stirred up, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So, this is a message for us. The Bible says that, man, it's 322. The Bible says that, that we, uh, everything in Scripture is written as an example for us. Guys, Haggai is an example for Nashville life. Everything we read in Scripture is served, meant to serve as an example and a template for your life of what to do, and Lord knows it's full of what not to do. So, I have been stirred up to deliver the message, right? It's not my message. It's the Bible. And then, you know, I talk to my staff, right? We, we go about this on, in the weekday. We talk about this at our staff meeting. See, if, what does that mean for y'all? Is it for the house of God? Who's tired? Who's weary? Who needs prayer? Okay, what's going on? Okay. And then they've got their team leads they're talking to. And the whole thing is to impart for the zeal to go from the leadership to everybody else. And the whole idea is that we are at 100% participation of zeal, of attention, of investment. Because if everybody brought what they had, then no one would have to do more than what they had to do. Your contribution matters. Don't be the reason why someone has to do 10 people's jobs. Don't be the reason why someone has to give enough for 30 people. Just do your part. Contribute your part. Three ways to build God's house. And these are things that no one can do but you. Last week, personally, in your family and corporately are three ways that we build the house of God. Last week I said personally was time in your Bible. Time reading the Bible, time praying every day. If you want to know the primary way that you can build the house of God, stay in Scripture. Continue feeding yourself the bread of life so that your heart can receive it and conceive it and your life can achieve it. Keep consuming the word of God every day and pray. Number two, in your family, I gave a charge to all husbands and all fathers in here 
to take it upon your responsibility, take it as your responsibility to not just pray over your family, which is major. That's a first step, praying over your family, but pray with them. Let your wife see you praying out loud. Let your children see dad praying out loud. Don't sin, don't perpetuate the message that to be a man is to be silent. And then we see you get loud over other things. We, we send a message. We're teaching the next. That's the, there's a reason why the expectation is for men to not be doing much in church. Because it's, we, we, we've got to show them unless we want them to believe something that's not true. Husbands and fathers, let your children see you pray. Share the word with them. I'm not saying you've got to be the best speaker in the world. But just open up scripture and practice sharing the word of God with your family. And for those of you who are parents, moms, and you're single, God bless you. Continue to pray. Continue to speak God's word over your family. The Lord knows how to make incredible plan B situations. I know it's not ideal that you're by yourself. I know that's not what you had in mind. But the Lord knows how to take Plans that were not the ideal and make something awesome out of it. So you stand firm. And even though the man is not there, pray, share the word, and know that God is, his grace is sufficient. Corporately, last week I didn't get past showing up. But I want to take a step further. Show up. First of all, that's the way you contribute corporately to, to the building of the house God is being there. Bring the wood, Remember? All the wood, all the materials, all the living stones have to assemble so that we can be built up into something. So please don't forsake these meetings. Please don't forsake. I know it's that too, but that's just what it is right now. Make it happen. You make everything else happen. Please make it happen. And trust that this is unto the Lord. This is not to Nash for Life. This is not to Alvin. This is to him so his house can be built. We've already covered giving. There is a financial, there's always been a financial component to contributing to God's house. This is not new. This is not prosperity. God, this is the, literally the entire Bible. There is no time where the people of God did not have a financial currency responsibility to the church. If it was oxen, if it was goats, with us it's dollars. It's always been a thing. Please don't be deceived to think that this is a modern-day expectation for the church to financially contribute so that there's natural resources in the house. And then the next thing is contribute your heart. That's the main thing. And that's honestly, it's all, that's, we, need to give, we need your heart. We need your enthusiasm. Don't just drag your feet. Come in with a pep in your step. We see that when we obey God, he takes it upon himself to stir up our spirit. You have to trust that if I obey him, he'll give me the zeal. Contribute your talents. We've got some brilliant people. We've got some of the best communicators, some of the best teachers. We've got some amazing craftsmen and just talk to us. 
Let's gather what we have. Bring the wood. And then we'll build. And the world will see. It's the unity. The Bible says John 17, the unity of God's people is what will attract the world. When they see a bunch of people working under the same plan, under the same vision, guys, that's what's going to make them come. It's the assembly, the gathered, unified assembly that draws the non-believers. I want to propose to you a day that I, I'm setting for us. And I plan on doing this every year, as long as I'm pastor. Um, an end-of-the-year offering. End-of-the-year it's called um, Zeal for the House, a Zeal for the House offering. And this year it's going to be December 5th. It's the first Sunday of December, and I'm telling you now so you guys can start thinking about it. Now, it was announced at the beginning of the year we were going to have three special giving Sundays regarding the, the new building. And we've done two, and they've been awesome. They've been great. And... I'm changing it up a little bit. This third one is not going to be what we have done in the past of where it's a special giving Sunday for the new building. This is, this is not specifically about the building. This is about the entire mission of Nashville Life, which is a lot more than just what's happening over in Nolensville Pike. So unlike the first two special giving Sundays, the zeal for the house offering, while some of it will go to this finished product of the building, we are engaging in local mission work with this offering. Now, just so you guys know, 10% of our contributions already go to missions. 10% of everything that comes into Nashville Life goes to missional work, just so you know. 30% goes to international, 20% go to national things in the country, and then 50% go to things happening right in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the zeal for the house offering, what doesn't go to the building is going to go specifically to local missions here at Nashville Life. Me and Joelle and her team are working with uh, a partnership with Paragon Mills Elementary School, which is a school down the street from the new church that we're moving into that has a lot of need. And I'm committed to blessing at least 100 families with the zeal for the house offering. At least. There's a lot of need there. We're going to feed some children. We're going to provide breakfast for them before school, those who can't afford breakfast. We're going to give them things for Christmas. And the reason why we're doing this, guys, is because it's the house of God that is called to be the storehouse for our city. It has always been God's plan for his church to be the storehouse for the resources, not just for the believers, but for those who are in the area. But the reason why I had to start and spend a month on zeal for the house is because if the people who are part of the house don't have that zeal to contribute, it, it, it ties the hands of God of doing what he wants to do through us. So be thinking about something that you want to give. 
And there's two ways you can go about it. You can give according to the zeal that you have for the house, or you can do what I've done before and give what you want your zeal for the house to be. I've actually been in stale places in my life, and I've given an offering as if someone who was super excited about God, and my heart caught up with where my money went. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's been times where I have intentionally taken my treasure and put it where I want my heart to be, even though my heart wasn't there yet. So that, that's, there's, you can either give according to the zeal that you have, which is great, or give where you want your zeal to be. Ask yourself what that amount is and prepare it for December 5th. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen through our giving. I can't wait to see these families. I can't wait to see more of what we're going to do even beyond this offering for the Paragon Mills. And then I believe that God's going to open the door for other schools. And we're going to be able to touch so many families. So I want us to pray. Father, thank you again for your presence. Thank you so much for the word of God the bread of life. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that our hearts have conceived your word. Lord, I thank you that we've received it. I think that some great fruit is gonna come from it. Lord, I thank you that you are building us up to be a spiritual house. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are making us a storehouse where there is more than enough grain, not just for those who attend our church, but for those who don't. Lord, I thank you for introducing us beyond all the statistics and all the horror stories of pastors and burnout and all these things. Lord, you are reminding us of a standard that's in your Bible where 100% of the people were stirred up and they obeyed, or they obeyed and were stirred up. God, so I pray for that same testimony to be over Nashville life. Lord, there's so much good that comes on the other side of obedience. There's so much good that comes on the other side of unity. There's so much good that comes out of building your house. God, and I just pray that every single person here lives to see the magnificent, marvelous results of obedience of unity and zeal. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of building the house is inviting others to it. God's house is supposed to grow. And it is growing, just so you know. And my prayer is that it grows today. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Because I believe that we're going to add to the number this day. I believe there are people who are ready to engage in the house of God. And the way you do it is first you got to come up to the mountain. And the way that we come up to God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the door to how to be elevated to where God is. If you say yes to Jesus, he will lift you up to be seated in heavenly places with God the Father. He will give you a new name. He will give you a new identity. He will give you a new purpose, and then he'll put you to work. But it's great because we're all together. 
We're all doing this together, and it's fun when we work together. Even when it's hard, it gets fun when you do it together. So for those of you who want to receive Jesus today, repeat these words after me so you can join this family, you can join this house, and you can enjoy this, ama- you can join this amazing work. Father, repeat after me, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just celebrate for a second salvation. For those of you, for those of you who said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to come down when service is over. Um, We've got a prayer team, and I want you to let us know. Um, We also have a a texting system that we started, and uh, it's a great way to keep track of those who said yes to Jesus. So if you can please just text yes to Jesus on your phone to 77411. That way we can connect with you, or you can just come down, please. Come down when the leaders are here, and let us know. We just want to congratulate you, and we'll send you on your way. But we want to keep track with those who are being added to the faith. Because we believe it's happening. This church is built to win the lost to Jesus Christ. So because you said yes to Jesus, we want to know about it. So if you're on the prayer team, please just come down and get in position. If you have prayer needs, they're here for you. Even if it's not regarding receiving Jesus for the first time, um, come on down. We'll pray for you. Or you can go to our website, and uh, you can submit your prayer requests that way. And we'll be happy to pray for anything that you need. Um, If you would like to get more connected, we've got our Next Steps booth in the back, and we have our Next Steps class that starts right after the service dismisses in room uh, 104. I'll be there. You get to talk about what leadership means at Nashville Life. And um, besides that, giving. If you didn't give online and you want to give a physical offering, um, we have uh, our finance team in the back. They'll be happy to serve you, take your tithes and your offerings, especially now that we have a refreshed understanding of what that is and why we do it. Um, So please give. Uh, Besides that, I'll see you all next week. I can't wait. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be able to get to step four uh, or uh, part four of our zeal for the house message. Um, I want to pray a prayer of dismissal and we'll be out of here. Uh, Father, thank you so much again for today. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, bless these people, Lord. Let the word stay in their heart. Let it stay in their minds, Lord. I rebuke any plan to rob what they've received or distort, Lord. We pray protection over all of us that that we can uh, really form roots um, with the word that was spoken today and that it can produce fruit in our lives. Um, bring us back to our either life groups this week or back here Sunday. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your day. Love you.